Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Taryn Mays, filling in today for Adam and Elizabeth as they are out, and I am here with my co-host, Marcus Raglan, and today we are joined by our special guest, Rachel Rosser Schulte. Today we're continuing our series on mental health and are going to have a conversation about eating disorders. Before we jump into our topic, I want to first introduce Rachel, who is one of my favorite people. She is uh, a gifted counselor and minister. But I, Rachel, I want you, would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself? We want to hear from you. Tell us uh, about you and, and maybe specifically about your experience when it comes to the topic of eating disorders. Sure. Um, I've been a counselor for uh, fully licensed for almost 12 years now. Um, worked in a variety of settings, psychiatric hospitals, uh, residential treatment, um, specifically working uh, in an eating disorder center called the Renfrew Center, uh, working with outpatient. I think my favorite thing is what I'm currently doing now, and I primarily work with women um, and really focus on biblical counseling. I work with a lot of women that are coming out of um, <clears throat> difficult relationships, either abusive, codependent, uh, work with women who have anxiety, work with a lot of women who are uh, working through eating disorders, depression, grief. So it's been a blessing. Also gotten to work with Taryn mm-hmm. here on staff uh, at Citizens uh, for a couple of years, working with her and several of my other favorite people. And so I'm super happy to be back mm-hmm. um, married, which has been right. really fun. Yeah, yes. Girl. And so... Uh, live with my husband, and he works with um, adults with special needs, and so that has been such a blessing and actually really restful uh, to come home to uh, after working with women all day. Yeah, praise God for that, Rachel. We're so glad you're here, and I uh, want to dive into uh, our topic today because I know there's so much to discuss. We want to start with some definitions, but first, I, w- I just want to make note that this is it's an incredibly difficult topic, and uh, based upon uh, the experience of the listeners, it might, it might be difficult for you to hear. Uh, and so, I just want to advise uh, you to act in wisdom and in, in how you're listening. But let's talk first about uh, what uh, what is an eating disorder. Are there different types of eating disorders? Uh, how is an eating disorder defined culturally and scientifically? So an eating disorder, you could say that's just an unhealthy behavioral association with food and eating in one's body um, that's going to negatively impact uh, not only your health, but your emotions, your relationships. Um, And so there are different types of eating disorders. And so for the sake of this podcast, we'll probably just focus on four um, because there are some that don't, uh, one is called ARFID that focuses more on children um, and kind of traumatic choking incidences. But for the sake of um, our time, we'll look more at um, what the DSM, which is the scientific, um, it's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. It's um, what counselors, psychiatrists use. Um, So how they would define eating disorders is 
uh, really a couple different categories. Uh, one is anorexia nervosa, and it's typically um, categorized by restricting one's food intake, uh, and that can be either you know by calories, the amount of food. Uh, it also can be done by compensating with over-exercising or um, purging. And so that's one type. Um, it's typically marked by um, individuals who are underweight. Uh, now, that's not actually always true, as there are some people who actually have really typical body mass indexes and do struggle with anorexia. Um, and then another one would be called bulimia uh, nervosa, and that's marked by individuals who are overeating, um, binging, and, and not just like when we overeat at Thanksgiving or on an anniversary or birthday dinner, but uh, they're consuming mass amounts of food and then to uh, getting rid of it either by um, purging, which that might look like self-induced vomiting or it might look like um, using laxatives. And then the other one would be um, binge eating disorder. And that's just consuming, again, large quantity of food, but you're not like trying to purge by over-exercising or um, purging. You're not doing anything to try to compensate for that. And then the last one, it's not like an official one, but it is one that um, should be talked about, which is, it's called orthorexia. And that is when someone is, um, they may not be underweight or malnutrition, although that could be an issue, but they're specifically um, like kind of obsessed with organic uh, foods, um, non-GMO, like there's certain things they will, won't eat, which is pretty true of all uh, disordered eating. Um, but it's, it's, pretty much marked by if there's an absence of that, like how they respond uh, when those things aren't available. Mm. Um, and so when you think about how culture would define an eating disorder, I would say that just as a whole, I believe our culture has a lot of disordered eating um, from, I mean, if you look at, we're surrounded with lots of, you know, fast food, um, varieties of food, lots of restaurants. And uh, at the same time, we're also inundated with diets, diet pills, um, you know, intermittent fasting, different things like that. And, you know, I think almost every diet that I've seen that's come across often cuts out like starches, which we would call carbohydrates, which we would just say universally is called bread, uh, which I, I don't think is ironic that oftentimes people label bread as bad in the fact that Jesus is called the bread of life. Um, the fact that the enemy would kind of jump in on that, especially bread being the universal food. Um, and so I think culturally the definition would probably be not accurate with a scientific one. I think oftentimes people believe culturally that somebody that has an eating disorder, right, they're like severely underweight and hospitalized. And, and the reality is actually only like probably less than 6% um, are severely underweight. And so Typically, I work with women, although eating disorders does affect men and women both. Um, it's usually the prevalence rates are higher in, in both female adolescents and female adults. And so um, with women, generally, people would think, oh, well, this is a woman who's also, you know, it's called amniotic, meaning that she's lost her period um, and she's just severely malnourished. And that does come up with some uh, of the anorexia, but not all. And so... Culturally, um, I think we're a little bit off in that and just because of the way we eat food, the way we enjoy food, uh, or the way we over-exercise. Um, and so, but I, I typically think people define that culturally 
um, as somebody that's extremely, someone who doesn't eat at all, when more eating disorders, they actually do eat. And so scientifically, um, again, we kind of go back to the definition as somebody who has um, like this behavioral association with food, their body um, and eating, right, where it's going to fall into these categories where they're doing it. Um, you know, anywhere from several times a month to several times a week to several times a day. Um, And so that can depend on the severity of the eating disorder, like kind of what it looks like scientifically and like the level of care that an individual needs with an eating disorder really does. doesn't always depend on the weight. Um, A lot of times it depends more on the behaviors, like how often people are engaging in behaviors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Uh, thank you for that that clarity. Uh, maybe more into that. So you kind of gave the the cultural and scientific uh, viewpoint. Uh, how does the Bible um, address or give context to uh, what eating disorder might look like? What does it have to say in in this conversation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Bible is relevant in everyday life, and there's nothing new under the sun. And so. Mm-hmm you're not going to see the words anorexia. You're not going to see bulimia in the Bible, right? Right. So uh, you're not even going to see eating disorder, although Mm -hmm. you will see passages that reference to gluttony, and we'll get to that a little bit. Um, But really, when the Bible is talking about, you know, uh, in the context of eating disorder, the way I approach it is more of uh, worship and looking at what's coming out of the context of the heart. And when I say the heart, I'm not talking about your cardiovascular heart, although that does apply with people with eating disorders, Mm. because that is important to get that checked out. But I am talking about like the center of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so like, if you look at an eating disorder in the context, like biblically, um, oftentimes uh, women that you know, may have bulimia, may have anorexia, they have what you would consider as a food law or a food commandment. And um, that's kind of how they mark their self-righteousness, their self-worth. And and they may not verbalize it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, They might just be like, hey, I can't eat sugar, carbs, fats, uh, pizza, bread. Like they have this whole list of things that they feel good and think they are good if they're abstaining from these things. And so the Bible often speaks about the law and how the law just in Hebrews 10 reveals Um, our hearts, our needs for a savior, right? But the thing, like if you look at Hebrews 10 in conjunction with maybe somebody that is either bulimic or anorexic, you're going to see that they're going to constantly, like those priests, be trying to sacrifice again because it's not going to take away, Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to cleanse their conscience, Mm -hmm. right? So they're going to wake up the next day and I've got to do that all over again. Or, man, you know what? I actually had a bite of a brownie or, you know, I did this, and so now I've either got to restrict more or I've got to overexercise. Somehow I would need to compensate mm-hmm. for what I've done that is like imperfect in my law. And so maybe that's purging, uh, maybe that's restricting more, overexercising. Um, so it, the Bible often speaks to, you know, having works righteousness, right, versus like finding our righteousness in Christ. And then we even look at the idea of binge eating, uh, kind of, you know, with a gluttony. There, there are definite times in the Bible where the Lord commands, you know, his people to feast. Uh, and, and those are good things, right? Like if you're going to feast in a holiday, if you're going to feast Thanksgiving, um, if you're going to, you know, celebrate unto the glory of God for, you know, a Christmas meal. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but like when 
I remember when the pandemic was happening and they lifted some of the restrictions and uh, one of my best friends, uh, we had her birthday and uh, we ordered takeout from Chewy's and the three of us like got to sit in my backyard and it was fun and we definitely ate too much, right? But that was definitely a celebration of the glory of God of like, oh man, I get to be with my friends. And so the Bible does speak to feasts and, you know, um, the Feast of Booths and different celebrations where we're to mark uh, our thanksgiving to God and our remembrance of Him. And the Bible does speak to fasting, right, unto the glory of God to continue to, like, consecrate this time uh, unto Him. But both of those things are done for the sole purpose, like, of God's glory and, you know, in our com- and the context of community, really. Mm-hmm. Most eating disorders are done in isolation. And so, you know, food's never going to give you what community and, and God is. And so oftentimes people restrict, and we can talk about this a little bit more, uh, their emotions or they're wanting to, you know, eat, maybe binging, eating out of comfort, right? Or out of loneliness. Um, definitely know that that was a lot of what came across in, um, with women, uh, especially during the pandemic, mm-hmm. like just the severe loneliness, um, the boredom, uh, and just how it could go one or two ways, right? Restricting, controlling over exercising, you know, constantly counting calories or just binge eating out of, you know, comfort. And so oftentimes that's what I would see in the Bible always is going to speak to um, our emotions. And and the Lord does care about our emotions. Um, He created them. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes they can be sinful, right? But he always wants to hear about them, whether they're, you know, valid or not. This is how we feel. They're like a little, like if you're looking at a car, it's essentially like your, your check engine lights on. Right. You want to go to the car mechanic and say, hey, this is happening right now to my car. And so we're not to ignore it. We're not to ignore emotions. We're to go to the Lord with those things. Um, but oftentimes people will push those things aside, right? And then either they end up maybe restricting their food because they feel good. Maybe they feel some control where they haven't felt that before. Or man, they go to the food for comfort. Um, and And so that's often what I see uh, in just kind of the context of an eating disorder, how the Bible would speak to those things. Mm, that's very yeah. good. Yeah, it is so helpful too uh, because you are you are describ- describing the pattern of uh, being caught in our own sin, yeah. that we, we will self-isolate in sin due to shame and guilt and turn back to the very thing that is continuing to perpetuate harm, thinking this this cycle, if I could just get it right this time, then I won't do. Um, and when in reality, the offer afforded us in Christ is full freedom and and the, uh, the absolving of our guilt and our shame. We get to walk out, uh, out of it and just within a new identity, which is so encouraging. Yeah. Rich, can you talk to us? On a, on a more practical level, what does an eating disorder look like for those who struggle with it day to day? What are some examples that we might be able to kind of look at and see? Yeah. Um, again, it, it might depend on the severity of the eating disorder, but let's just say I'm going to use the context of the pandemic just because, you know, as I've been listening to you guys, I know you've been focused on a little bit of that and kind of coming out of that. Um, and so what I've seen kind of, and I'll say come across my desk or like into my office. And so oftentimes like it might look like uh, not a girl necessarily starving herself, right? So let's say there's an individual, a woman that has anorexia um, and she's probably not going to self-diagnose. What that's going to look like is maybe she has like 
a really, really small breakfast. Maybe if she's your roommate, she's your daughter, she's your wife, she's your sister, uh, maybe she eats a banana and some coffee, right? Or maybe she eats, you know, a little bit of oatmeal and some coffee. Maybe she's like, oh gosh, I'm so busy. I've got, you know, I've got to get all this stuff done at work online. You know, Um, she just drinks coffee. Well, and then you might notice, you know, lunches are small. Maybe they're like high on um, vegetables, high on protein, but you don't see a lot of, you know, starches coming across her plate. You don't see like, um, you know, nuts and avocados and, you know, olive oil, different good fats. Like you don't see those things. And so you see really smaller portions of food. And I think that's oftentimes where people kind of get this idea that people that have anorexia never eat. And that's just not true. Um, and so it's going to be probably smaller portions. And then maybe you see her pushing her food across her plate, right? If you're sitting with her at dinner, uh, maybe she's kind of pushing her food across her plate or she eats a couple bites and she's like, hey, I'm not hungry. Um, I'm going to go on a walk. Uh, and so it, oftentimes what I would see just even in the pandemic, right, is, you know, um, mom's busy, dad's busy, people are working online, you know, there's a teenage daughter at home, she's um, doing online learning. But, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, that wasn't as structured as it, you know, entered into later. And so they've got some free time. So people aren't necessarily watching as much. And so maybe I'm, I'm getting a snack here, a snack there. I'm not finishing it. You don't see me finish my food or I push my food around on my plate, or maybe I actually even eat a meal with you guys of like chicken and fish, but man, I'm going to I'm going to go run for a couple miles or I'm going to go do sit-ups in my room. And so, you know, that might look like with anorexia. Um, uh, it also could look like just eating a regular meal of dinner and then going on a 10-mile run or uh, purging, you know, when you guys aren't watching. You know, with bulimia, that looks like eating larger quantities of food. Um, so both with bulimia and binge eating, right, maybe that's at night, right? So like with often what I would hear with women is um, they would eat more at night when everybody was asleep, you know, mm-hmm. like mass quantities of food, right? And then either maybe they would try to purge uh, either with laxatives or, you know, vomiting and then cleaning the toilet out, which I know that sounds very graphic. This is just some of the things that happen and um, or they would just eat often again in secret. And so most of these behaviors are done in secret. Mm -hmm. So you may not see somebody that you love and you're like, no, we went to Chick-fil-A and they had like two nuggets and, you know, maybe they were like, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to finish the rest of it. And so you're not seeing those things, but a lot of the things they're doing, whether it's over-exercising or counting calories or putting those things, plugging them into little things in their phone or binge eating at night or definitely purging, like you're not going to see those things as much as you would just, um, maybe they're a little bit more withdrawn or a little more anxious. Yeah. That's really, uh, that's really helpful to even just be able to get our minds right and an understanding of, uh, of definition and then what this could look like kind of on the ground day to day. Uh, and I, I want to talk specifically as we kind of move into what does it actually look like for us, uh, for those who are struggling with eating disorders and for Christians around them to begin to battle those things in light of the hope of the gospel. All right, Rachel, uh, we just want to continue where we left off and uh, pick up with how we as Christians, right, as we're thinking about uh, some of the things you just talked about and even just outlined how we can be more aware and kind of see some of the signs that are pointing to um, eating disorders. How can we um, be thinking about what it looks like to battle or alleviate uh, these things, maybe for those who are struggling uh, with this? 
So if you're a woman or, or a man or you know a teen that is struggling with an eating disorder, you are a follower of Christ, um, I think one of the best things you can do is, is talk to someone, maybe that's a minister, um, a friend, someone older, uh, and tell them what's going on. Um, another thing that's going to be really important is that you meet with your doctor. Uh, depending on the longevity and the severity of the eating disorder, you know, there are pretty severe medical complications uh, with anorexia. Um, like I said before, there's a, you know, if you continue and it can be, it can affect definitely your reproductive cycle. Um, both anorexia and bulimia do affect like your potassium levels, which are going to affect your cardiovascular heart. Um, and so uh, there's going to be, there could be potential impacts with, um, you know, your, your, your teeth. Um, with your esophagus. And so, and I don't say the, say those things lightly to scare anyone, uh, just as a, as a fellow follower of Jesus, as a Christian counselor, um, it's always important to just make sure any woman that, you know, I've seen that's, you know, confessing, telling me that she has an eating disorder, I'm going to want her to go to the doctor. Um, the next thing I'm going to want her to do is, is also go see a nutritionist. Uh, so as a counselor, um, I love to learn about food, but that's not my, um, like I'm not a nutritionist. That's not my forte. I have a lot of great women that I refer to, um, because we do eat every day, right? But essentially somebody that's battling an eating disorder, it's, you know, it is the heart and there is the physiological component of, well, there is the food. And so a nutritionist can help, you know, someone learn how to eat eat intuitively so that they're eating from like, you know, God has created everything to be enjoyed and to be received with Thanksgiving. And so getting them back to that place to go, Hey, you, you actually can eat these things. Um, and you can enjoy these things in moderation. And so working with a nutritionist side by side as a counselor is really helpful. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I encourage people who are like battling, like, Hey, you kind of need this, like, three prong approach, right? There's kind of like the medical, let's get that cleared out. Let's look at the nutritional component. And then let's look at the the mental, the counseling, the spiritual aspect, the heart. And so I can speak to that um, side uh, since I'm, I'm not a doctor and I'm not a nutritionist. And so when I'm working with a team, it's helpful because then I can just focus on kind of what's going on in the heart. And so oftentimes people that have, you know, eating disorders, you know, there can be comorbid disorders, meaning like there's other things going on. Um, I sometimes refer to it as like whack-a-mole, like, okay, what's, what's coming up next? So a lot of women struggle with anxiety. Uh, they struggle with depression. Um, often women have histories of abuse and trauma. Um, often women come from homes where there's a lot of emotional destructiveness or, you know, just chaos going on. Um, and so, you know, having the eating disorder is kind of their way of trying to like control and make sense of their world. Um, and so we want to kind of look at all of those things and we want to see, well, how is the heart, you know, again, not the, not the cardiovascular heart, but the, the heart that God has created, both the seat of our, like our mind, our emotions and our will, like, how is that responding, um, to these situations? And so, you know, the first thing in battling is we really want to keep the gospel in view. Um, Jesus is the only one that's passed the food test, right? right. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I mean, that's where, 
our ancestors failed, you know, in Genesis 3 in the garden. No, obviously it wasn't just a piece of fruit, right? But it was a dependency, uh, obedience, remembering their identity that they already mm. had been created like God, that they don't have to go outside of him uh, to find their identity. And so it's important to keep that in view as you're battling, right? And that's one of the biggest things. Um, and like, Jesus is the only one who ate perfectly. Uh, and they even accused him of being a glutton at times. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's important to have that in view. And so we want to get to, like, as a counselor, as a Christian counselor, I want to look at what's going on under the roots, right? What is the desire that's ultimately driving their heart and their decisions, right? Is there a lot of fear? Is there desire to restrict food or to purge? Is it out of this desire to be approved, to be, you know, accepted? Um, oftentimes, you know, women struggle with body image, um, and that kind of goes hand in hand with some eating disorders. Sometimes it can be a desire for comfort or for affirmation. Um, you know, a lot of women that I, I meet with, it's kind of the way they find their peace, Hmm. Um, meaning like maybe family life is, is really chaotic. And so they find a lot of peace in their ability to control their environment in the sense of I can control what I do and don't put into my mouth. And so I may not can control these other things. Uh, and so we want to look at, okay, what does it look like to like believe and trust the Lord? What does it also look like to surrender and forgive? Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, women who purge and women who restrict, uh, there's a lot of anger. And so generally I can tell somebody is like recovering really well uh, when they start to express their anger more in counseling or at family members. Mm -hmm. And um, I just call it kind of the pendulum. I'm like, okay, we got to learn how to do conflict because uh, we don't want to be like, we don't want to be peace fakers, but we don't want to be peace breakers. Mm -hmm. And so, but there is some joy in that to go, oh, okay, we are not like restricting anger anymore. So, because uh, if you think even about purging, it's a very violent act, uh, mm -hmm. you know, throwing up. And so we want to get it to where they can start using their words to communicate what's going on inside of their heart, first and foremost with the Lord, and then secondly with like the people around them. And then we want to look at, I mean, who do they believe they are, right? Because part of that's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Like we don't want the culture to shape who we think we are. And so, so much of that has to be, and I mean, we're inundated, you know, with everything, social media, you know, the internet, I mean, pictures, movies, like, and the reality is it's just not real. It's not how the Lord designed it. And that's actually not what God says is beautiful. Like God says what is beautiful is someone who's quick to spread the good news of the gospel um, and someone who has a gentle and quiet spirit, specifically with women. And I like to say that one because I'm not a quiet person, but like internally what he means is like not anxious on the inside right. and so mm. and not like lording over so i have to That's always right. explain that one because i'm like hey <laughs> it doesn't mean to be mousy mm -hmm. um right. so those are things that the lord says are beautiful and so we really want to renew our mind um with the truth of his word you know the whole ephesians 4 we want to put this off we want to renew we want to put this on that takes a lot of time mm -hmm. yes Rachel, i love uh the call for uh, a triage of support uh, in the life of this individual. What you're saying is it's not only this one thing, it is coming out in uh, into the light in a way that allows for other experts and, and friends to come alongside you and care for you so that you, situated as a biblical counselor, can really hone in to your expertise, right, to dig in and at the heart. But talk to us a little bit, where does or does therapy, modern 
modern psychology fit into this? Are, are there medications? Is, is that a, a part of, um, uh, would that be a part of someone's life who is struggling with an eating disorder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I think it depends on like the severity. So oftentimes when women come into my office, sometimes they're at a higher level of care than I can provide for them. What they actually need is like inpatient or maybe uh, an inpatient is when you're in a facility, you know, every day. Um, and then maybe they need partial. So some of the reasons why those things can be helpful is because at some facilities, most facilities that specialize in eating disorders, they'll actually plate food, teach them about about nutrition, they just need more help more than like outpatient and an outpatient nutritionist, an outpatient counselor, outpatient doctor can provide. Um, and so, definitely, depending on the level of severity, uh, there's you know hospitalization, there's day treatment, there's intensive outpatient, and those things can be very helpful. Um, you know, counseling really started in the garden with the Lord giving us directive. And so I just don't think that there's going to be a lot of things that replaces just what I would say is like talk therapy, like biblical counseling. And I, I do know that there's a lot of places, a lot of listeners don't have access to that. And so I, I do think it is beneficial uh, to see a counselor. I think probably where I would differ is like, I don't necessarily see it as like the disease model um, because that's really hard because essentially what you're saying is there's something wrong within me yet in the disease model, like I can somehow I can feel fix myself. Like I can heal myself. Mm-hmm. And and as a believer, I'm like, yeah, there's something really broken within me. First and foremost, it's a sin, right? It's before my uh, disordered eating. And I, I have to have something outside of me to save me. That's right. um, and so that's where I would really differ on that. I think medication is a common grace of the Lord. Um, and so definitely there's, um, especially when Women have, and I, again, I speak primarily to women because that's primarily who I counsel. But when women have, um, you know, they have anxiety, they have depression. It's underlying um, an eating disorder. They have trauma. Um, Prozac, Lexapro, those are you know SSRIs, SNRIs that help uh, individuals, especially as you're working through. I mean, just a litany of things, like a lot of stuff, like you're trying to learn how to eat again. You're trying to learn how to like do conflict management. You're trying to like put off all this shame and like really remember your identity in Christ. And, and that's a lot. And so, um, and then there's, you know, women that just have been severely malnourished, you know, uh, with either of those, uh, you know, bulimia, anorexia, and we want to make sure that they get, you know, active care and their brain has to get nourishment, you know, so there's, there's different things that affect just kind of your neural pathways. And so, but, you know, I definitely think that, you know, counseling, um, counseling's always been meant to be in conjunction with medication. Like I I do think if you're going to take meds, it's important for you to be, you know, in counseling, at least, you know, occasionally, if not weekly, uh, that's how it was designed, but it definitely can help. And it is a common grace of the Lord. Uh, it's not going to save you, um, Mm -hmm. medication, uh, again, only Jesus can, Mm -hmm. but it can definitely help. Uh, it can, (laughs) I mean, it can help people to think clearer and, um, and to really start to fight in their recovery. And so I do think that it's an important component. So Rachel, for the Christians struggling with an eating disorder, what is the goal? Is there hope? What is the hope? Absolutely. I mean, there is hope. So that might also be where I differ in the sense of like, I don't believe that your identity is defined by your sin, by your Mm -hmm. suffering. 
our identity as believers in Jesus is defined by Christ. And so our hope is going to be there and hope does not disappoint. And so part of that is like, and it is important, you know, it is, um, it's a serious uh, mental health issue, right? Because eating disorders have uh, the highest rate of suicide um, more than any other uh, mental health issue, and, and they actually have the highest rate of medical complications. Wow. And so um, it's important to keep that in mind uh, as a believer. So we want to constantly look at our hope. And so part of that, and somebody's struggling with one, the goal would be um, that you could learn how to, you know, uh, eat to the glory of God, uh, to steward your body, right? Um, we are to be good stewards since it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, when I look at the Israelites, uh, there was a definite times of right celebration. Uh, they also were at times, I would say discipline and moderate, uh, definitely times in old Testament, they were not, um, but you know, to be a disciplined people, uh, to do things in moderation, to uh, feast unto the Lord, but really to find their value, their worth, their identity, uh, and who God has called them as a daughter of the King, as a son of the King. Um, and so, and knowing that, hey, it may be a long road, right? Just a mark of endurance and working uh, through recovery in their eating disorder. But there's coming a day, yes. right, when this is not going to be, this is going to be in their rearview mirror. And it might be right on this side of heaven that, hey, they don't have body image thoughts. They don't think about, you know, binging. They don't, you know, think about restricting their food, but there's definitely coming a day, right, where that is not going to be in their, you know, um, mental faculties. It's not going to be there. And so, you know, to look forward to that day and to continue to endure, knowing that like the victory has been won for them in Jesus. And we always fight from it, you know, not for it. It's just so good. It's so good to just be reminded that even in the midst of, because this is suffering. Mm -hmm. It is, it is so, there's so much suffering and we can, uh, particularly as individuals who struggle and suffer, be blinded by our own suffering because it hurts. And so I just so appreciate you situating us within the true story. Our true narrative is that Christ has come and he will return and make all things right and undo what um, what sin yes. has done. Um, so there's just, there is so much hope for the believer. Such a good yeah. word. Think about the picture you said earlier, right? The Jesus is the only one who's eaten perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one day he'll come back and fix all things and there'll be just this grand feast mm-hmm. that we get to perpetually partake in um, with no famine ever again. Mm-hmm. And so Praise that's just, God. that's glorious. Mm-hmm. Um, and no well, fasting. We don't fast mm-hmm. when the bridegroom's mm-hmm. with us. I know. Come on. <laughs> So, because he will be there. Yeah, he'll be there with there. us. Yeah, so, man, as we conclude, right, so for those of us who maybe as we're listening, we're thinking of an individual in our life, whether it be um, a family member or a friend or a student, uh, whatever it may be, um, how can we come alongside uh, and support that individual? What are some things um, that work? What are some things that you would advise we avoid um, in trying to help them in their road to recovery? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I can't emphasize this enough, just the importance of the grace 
of Jesus that we, as followers of Jesus, that we have received, extending that. Come on, mm-hmm. sis. Come so, on. <laughs> I mean, it's so important yes. when we talk with people that are struggling with mental health issues, you know, are struggling uh, with disordered eating to be gracious. And so, man, how you can help and support is be a safe place for them to come talk to, mm-hmm. right? Ask questions, listen, ask them, hey, what what's helpful for me to like... Uh, do what's helpful for me to not do. Um, and so pray with them, follow up, you know, ask them like, Hey, you went and saw the nutritionist, like what's the meal plan? What does she say? Mm-hmm. And so take an interest, um, you know, obviously encourage them if they're not willing to seek treatment, like you gotta, you know, confront them out of love because of your care for them. Um, I would say definitely be patient you know, with them, uh, remind them the truth of who they are. Uh, but listen, well, suffer with them, um, in this, um, also be watchful. This would probably go into saying what not to do. Um, Mm. you know, I, I would say, man, if you're deciding to do intermittent fasting and you're being paleo, you know, that's between you and the Lord, but man, maybe not post that all over your Facebook. If you've got mm-hmm. a sibling uh, that's struggling with disordered eating, you know, maybe don't say, oh, all carbs are bad at the dinner table. If your daughter, right, is struggling with an eating disorder, um, you know, don't talk about your personal mileage run with somebody who's been asked by the nutritionist to not run, you know, for for a while. So I think mm. be sensitive uh, to those who are have that because we have to eat every day. And so this really is a struggle. The worst thing you could do also is just tell somebody, well, just eat, just, mm. just eat. Like, I don't know what the problem is. Um, so again, grace, patience, um, maybe not helicoptering them uh, at all. Like I've seen some of that happening, making sure their food is plated, they're eating enough. One of the things that's helpful too is like not to make body image comments, body shaming comments, to just be aware that there are people that are struggling. Really, um, I try to think about, you know, my sister has two daughters and I really try to think about emphasizing their character over their cuteness. Um, And they don't struggle with eating disorders. It's just something, you know, I want to think about. And then with women, men who are, you know, if you're eating a meal with them, maybe not go, man, how is it? How's how's it going for you? Doing okay? You doing all right? Mm. Keep the topic light. Uh, laugh. And then afterwards, you know, when you guys are driving back home or maybe you're going on a walk, be like, Hey, how how are you feeling? I may not focus as much on the food, but really look more at the emotion and then always, you know, end in prayer. Uh, so I would just say, you know, love one another, uh, Mm -hmm. as we've been commanded to. That's so much wisdom. So much just packed right in. Um, Rach, that's really helpful uh, as we think about individuals in our lives who who might be struggling in this way in ways that we can incarnate Christ to them, right? To be generously curious in our question asking and kind. Um, what are we'll turn to an individual who is who is struggling uh, what are some practical ways specifically biblical biblical habits and practices that they can personally use in battling eating disorders i mean one of the most courageous things you can do is ask for help right that takes mm. a lot of humility uh to humble yourself under the lord ask him for help uh and then go to your community and say hey i need help um, and so, I mean, that takes that takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability. And so, um, encourage that. 
just to be honest, to have some candor with the Lord and really maybe to ask yourself some questions like, am I enslaved to this? Like, am I enslaved to eating organically? If I, you know, and I think a good marker is if that wasn't available, like how are you going to respond, right? If I don't have like my whole foods and all of that and that's not available, am I going to freak out? Am I going to get angry, right? If I um, eat Chick-fil-A and I don't exercise, how am I going to respond? And so really kind of trying to ask yourself if you're enslaved to this thing, which essentially would be if this wasn't present or if I did this, how would I, what would I respond? What would happen? Um, and then start to, you know, one, if asking for help, you know, working with a counselor, a nutritionist, um, and then really start to learn how to, I think we all can learn how to be emotionally healthy as adults. Uh, one of the best things, and I think that the thing that the church had missed some, and I say the church collectively in America, but I feel like maybe this last year we've gotten better at is like lamenting and mm-hmm. corporate lamenting. Yes. And so I would say maybe that's one of the blessed and painful things that has come out of 2020 um, is lamenting. And so I try to encourage uh, all of my counselees to learn how to grieve uh, because unfortunately on this side, we're going to and be in suffering. We're going to be in pain. And so learning how to lament, not just the loss of a loved one, but losses uh, and crosses, which crosses are just difficulties. And so pouring our heart out to the Lord because he does care for us. And so learning how to like identify, you know, the sadness, uh, the anger, um, and, and that, that's always helpful to do with another person there with you. Uh, I generally tell people when we're working on identity, um, I say, pay attention. I quote Kurt Thompson, pay attention to what you pay attention to. <laughs> so the way we talk to ourselves, the way we think about ourselves is going to impact our feelings, the choices, and our actions. And so even if you just want to get a sheet of paper and like keep it out for a week and you know, what are the things that you said to yourself this week? Was it shaming? Was it condemning? Uh, that's going to tell you a lot of where you find your identity in. And so we're, we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at, you know, how can I um, learn to trust God uh, with my body, with food? Um, and that really can be a walk of faith for someone. And, mm-hmm. um, and that is a battle. And so I know oftentimes people will come into my office and they'll try to compare suffering or, you know, it's not this and it's not that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. But I mean, everybody has a different walk of faith. And so like, you know, restraining from, you know, eating a box of donuts or choosing to eat a donut, like that can be a walk of faith uh, for someone for that day to go, man, I'm going to trust the Lord with what this does with my body. I'm going to believe that he says that it's good. I'm going to believe that I can have this. I don't, it doesn't have to be a law. Um, I'm going to receive it with Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. uh, right? I'm going to, I'm going to exercise in a way that takes care of my body and doesn't hurt my body. Um, I'm going to learn how to really identify what I feel. And again, all of these things I'm saying take a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, to learn how to do these things in biblical habits and practices. And so, you know, the, the biggest thing I, I try to t- tell people is really lamenting um, prayer, uh, times of stillness and reflection, mm-hmm. um, which was what I really got out of the pandemic uh, was just, you know, choosing those times uh, to reflect, to be still, to sit in silence. Um, some of those things, because then you can kind of hear your inner dialogue start to bubble up. Um, and that's just, you know, that's for eating disorders and other things just in general. But, you know, the biggest thing is, man, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep turning mm-hmm. to him because he is not disappointed. He, mm-hmm. you know, his patience is unlimited. 
um, he loves us. His desire is to deliver us. And, and that's really the theme of the Bible, right? You just see this constant deliverance from oppression, from enslavement, you know, that includes eating disorders. And so just to know that he is not going to give up on you. Yes. Amen. Gosh, Rachel, thank you. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. And I, I am always so grateful for your voice and expertise, uh, certainly around this topic, but just generally in, in the realm of biblical counseling, you are, you are a gift to the church at large. And so we're grateful for you. Thank yeah. you, friend. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. It was fun to be here. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram. Thanks, and God bless.